Hey there, listeners. It's your host, Stacia. So if you liked our recent episode about classical music and cartoons, you are going to love this episode, which is about a piece from one of the most famous classical music cartoon crossovers ever, Fantasia. It's a little tune called Sorcerer's Apprentice, and let me just tell you, folks, you're in for a treat. All right, so don't forget to subscribe to, rate us, and review us, or a million angry brooms are going to chase you with buckets of water. Fact. Okay, enjoy the episode. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So, every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know. And then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today are Michael Webster and Derek Markham of the Houston Youth Symphony. Welcome back to Michael Webster, who is the artistic director and conductor of the symphony. He's been on the show before way back in episode 28 when we talked about Tchaikovsky's Pathétique. And a warm welcome to Classical Classroom newcomer, Derek Markham, who is a bassoonist in the symphony. You guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, as I understand it, we are going to be talking about the Sorcerer's Apprentice today. But um, before we get to that, can you tell me a little bit about, Michael, the Houston Youth Symphony, what it is, what you guys do? Houston Youth Symphony is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. Wow. So, we've been around a long time. I had no idea. Yeah. That's super cool. And... Uh, our program has expanded over the years. We just added a fifth orchestra, and that includes 400 students. Oh, my gosh. Taken from the entire Houston area. So how, do, how does this work? I mean, are you guys just practicing and putting on performances all the time? That's massive. Yes. In fact, we have a conducting staff of six conductors, and all five of the orchestras rehearse simultaneously at Pershing Middle School every Sunday afternoon. Whoa. You might think it's a madhouse, but actually we keep things pretty well under control. That is crazy. So so you've actually got different orchestras playing different performances. I mean, that's got to be like, I'm just thinking about the logistics of even planning a performance. Like, that's that's huge. Well, it is, except that we've had experience doing it. Sounds like it. So we've, yeah. we had three orchestras for many years, and about 10 years ago, we added a fourth orchestra. Okay. We got into the routine of scheduling the four orchestras, mm-hmm. and now we've added a fifth, and we've got, we're getting into the routine of, of scheduling it as well. So what, what is your kind of mission? Like, why, why is it that you do this crazy thing? We do this crazy thing because music is so meaningful to everybody, mm. and School kids need to have access to high-quality music making. One of the things that we can do, for example, I brought Derek here because he plays that magnificent instrument, the bassoon, which Mm -hmm. is featured in the Sorcerer's Apprentice. One of my favorites, yeah. Uh, He goes to one of the wonderful high schools in the area, but Houston Youth Symphony allows him and 
students from many, many, many different high schools to join together on a weekend and play with each other. And as a result, we have a very high level of music making, and we have an orchestra of 95 people playing the Sorcerer's Apprentice for you. Wow. So it allows student musicians to collaborate with one another from all over the city and maybe get different experiences that they might experience just in their little part of the city exactly, uh, and with their group of friends or what have you. Is there a curriculum? Is there sort of a formula? Do you have a regular season like any other performing arts group? Yes, we do. Generally, we have three performances per year of okay. all of the orchestras give uh, perform three times. Yeah. And this year also is our turn to play side by side with the Houston Symphony in the spring. Mm-hmm. The Houston Symphony has a program where they rotate among HSPVA, the High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, mm-hmm. the Virtuosi, a smaller orchestra, mm-hmm. and Houston Youth Symphony. So every third year, we will play side by side with the Houston Symphony. That is so cool. And I am very glad for any initiative, any any organization that works to bring music into our schools because I know how it's being taken out. So I love hearing that it's being added in some way. Well, not only that, but we've established programs in some of the disadvantaged neighborhoods as well where we send uh, teachers in to teach in a neighborhood where the kids might not have an opportunity to afford to get an instrument or to afford a teacher, and we provide that for them. We have a program called the Melody Program and a program called the CODA Program, Mm -hmm. where we service kids who would not otherwise have an opportunity to play and learn an instrument. That's fantastic. And Derek, like, how did you get involved with this? How did you, how did you find out about the, the Youth Symphony and decide that you wanted to do this? I believe I heard through my lesson teacher, um, you know, who had known about the Houston Youth Symphony, and they recommended I should audition, so I did. Uh, and I got in, and I've been coming back cool. every year. And and is this like your, uh, this is what you want to do with your life? You want to play yes, professionally? Yes, I plan on going into music performance. Sweet. All right. As it happens, Derek's lesson teacher is a graduate of the Houston Youth Symphony. Hey. How many years ago was Jeff Nacesta with us? At least 10 anyway. Wow. And he's now our bassoon and woodwind coach. Super cool. So our graduates, uh, many of them continue on in careers in music. Wow. So cool. All right. I could go on asking you questions about this very awesome organization for a long time, but we have music to get to. So I understand we are going to be talking about The Sorcerer's Apprentice today, which was written by Mickey Mouse, I believe. That's almost right. Okay. (laughs) Or maybe by Walt Disney. (laughs) Yeah, Walt Disney. So, okay, Uh, I want to learn about this piece, but we have to start from the beginning because I remember seeing The Sorcerer's Apprentice when I was a kid, but I have forgotten everything about it. So tell me who the composer was. Tell me, tell me everything. Well, I don't have time to tell you everything, <laughs> but I'll try to hit some high points. The okay. composer was Paul Ducat, okay, French composer from the latter part of the 19th century. Uh-huh. In fact, this piece was written in 1897, wow. so verging close to the 20th century. Okay, but it gained its idea from a poem by Goethe, the famous German writer and poet, uh-huh. and that poem was called Der Zauberlehrling. Mm-hmm. which in German literally means the student of magic. 
Huh. But translated into French, it became the Sorcerer's Apprentice. This French, they know how to turn a phrase. Yes, they yeah. do, indeed. <laughs> and then what uh, Ducat did was to write a tone poem on that, on that poem by Goethe. Okay. And a tone poem is sometimes also called a symphonic poem. Mm-hmm. It's a form where the composer in one movement tells a story mm-hmm. or talks about an idea, a philosophical idea. Yeah. There is always some extra musical idea behind a tone poem. In this case, it's the poem about the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Hmm. Now, I've heard tone poems before. I guess most of the tone poems I've heard have been based on natural occurrences. But this is based on a poem. It's really different. It is, yes. I've, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. So how, how do the, I guess, rules work in composing a well, piece there, like that? Well, there are no rules. The most famous composer of tone poems was Richard Strauss. Uh-huh. And for example, Tod und Verklärung. Mm-hmm. And that means death and transfiguration, and it is based on a poem. Yes. And it's his musical representation of what it's like to live, to die, and to go to heaven. We actually did a classical classroom um, with Sinjin Flynn on that, and, and he, he taught me all about that piece. And beautiful. the Strauss poem, which I think is most similar to The Sorcerer's Apprentice, is the one called Till Eulenspiegel. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's so similar is that, like The Sorcerer's Apprentice, it tells a story. And you can go through it, and Strauss even writes in the in the score, this is happening here, this is where Till does this, this is where he does that. Oh, wow. This is where he does that. Like really spelling it out. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, tell me about the, the, the story behind The Sorcerer's Apprentice. What is, what is the tale? The story is simple. The sorcerer leaves, mm. and his student decides to try out some of the magic spells that he's learning. Okay. And the very first music that you hear in the slow introduction is the music of the magic spell. Okay. And what the Sorcerer's Apprentice wants to do is to rest and relax while he trains a broom to carry water for him. His job <laughs> is to carry water from the well up to the, uh, up to the kitchen or, uh-huh. or wherever. And he casts the spell, and sure enough, the broom grows arms and legs and starts carrying buckets of water. I love it. So, so this guy, he learns magic, and this is what he does with it. Yes, except <laughs> there's one problem. He's an apprentice, ah, and he yeah. hasn't learned all of the spells quite thoroughly enough. Yeah. And when the broom has started bringing too much water, he can't get the broom to stop. <laughs> so he decides to... Chop the broom in half with an axe. Yeah. And he takes an axe and goes, and the broom gets split in half. He has not learned the counter spell, so he just whacks it away. Yes, he whacks away. But you can imagine what's going to happen. Now we have two brooms, and Mm -hmm. both of them are carrying water. (laughs) This is where Disney departs from the original poem, because in the original poem and in the the, uh, Dukas tone poem, Mm -hmm. there are only two brooms. But two brooms is enough to do the damage that is done by flooding the place entirely. Yeah. In the Disney version, there are multiple brooms. They come they become an army of brooms. Right. Which I think is great. It just adds to the drama of the of the whole thing. And then finally, 
at the end of the poem, at the end of the Sorcerer's Apprentice tone poem, and at the end of the Disney version, the sorcerer reappears and casts the correct spell, turns the broom back into one broom, and gives the apprentice a little kick in the pants for being a naughty boy. (laughs) This is great. Okay, so uh, you talked when we were corresponding about this, about uh, teaching me about the orchestration of the piece and I guess what the different instruments kind of um, depict throughout the story. So you guys have your instruments here today. I'd love to hear some examples of that. Well, I asked Derek to come because he plays that magnificent instrument, the bassoon, which is given the most important theme in this piece of music. The bassoon plays the part of the broom. Mm -hmm. Would you like to show us what that sounds like, Derek? Here's the bassoon as the broom. That's the broom. That's so great. I mean, uh, that I love that. Um, I don't even know what to call it. That music just like automatically brings up memories, you know. Well, and the- Dukawa's uh, smart enough to to write it in sort of a march tempo, uh-huh. mm, 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 right? Mm, like that, you know. Yeah. So you can imagine the broom walking along at that cadence, carrying yeah. his buckets of water. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, so what? Uh, and what is the what is the clarinet doing meanwhile? You've got you've well, got your clarinet. Well, I brought my clarinet here. because uh, the bassoon, being a bass instrument, yeah, uh, doesn't participate in a couple of the other themes. Okay. But shall we skip ahead to where the broom is slashed in half? Yeah, that sounds good. And at that point, the clarinet does happen to become the second broom. Okay. So uh, we hear. Actually, four themes, and there are only four in this entire 11-minute piece. It's very, very concise. Huh. Uh, there's not a lot of musical material, but it's varied constantly, both in terms of rhythm and in terms of orchestration. Mm-hmm. But uh, about two-thirds of the way through the piece, uh, the apprentice gets out his hatchet and slugs the broom in two. Uh-huh. And here's what it sounds like. Okay. In the Disney version, do they add more instruments, and uh, or or do they actually like does the uh, the movie The Sorcerer's Apprentice does like are they following the Duca piece? Like yes, in in okay. the version that you hear, it's Leopold Stokowski uh-huh. conducting the Philadelphia Orchestra, so yeah. it's a major symphony orchestra, uh-huh. and the orchestration is exactly what Duca wrote. Okay. However, I went back and looked at it and realized that they did some cutting of it. Hmm. As we perform the piece and as any orchestra performs it, it's an 11-minute piece. Mm -hmm. The Disney version is about eight and a half minutes long. And I must say that they made the cuts extremely well because you don't notice that anything has been taken out Mm -hmm. of it. 
but it's a little bit shorter, and I'm sure they did that just to heighten the drama. Yeah, I asked because we recently did an episode on um, music in Looney Tunes, and I learned a little bit about how they took liberties with with some of the like the right of the Valkyries and you know things like that to kind of suit their purposes and how that we talked about the controversy of of that and so and of just sort of messing with with a classic. Yes, I will never know? fit killed a wabbit, killed a wabbit. <laughs> exactly. Elmer Fudd trying to sing the right of the Valkyries. <laughs> Ruined or improved upon? Not sure. Um, so I, I did have one question. Um, like I've I've learned about uh, leitmotif uh, in here. Is is that what's happening here? I mean, is the bassoon always um, playing the role of and playing that little theme, uh, or and is the clarinet playing this particular role? Like, is it, for example, in Star Wars? I know when you hear the the certain theme music, you know Darth Vader is about to come in. Um, does that does that work like this in a tone poem as well, or how does that work? The answer is yes and no. Okay. <laughs> the yes part of the answer is that this piece is based on leitmotifs. Okay. And it was Richard Wagner who coined the phrase leitmotif yeah. when his operas started getting longer and longer and longer, and he had to make reference to characters in the Ring of the Nibelungen, for example, you have a leitmotif for Siegfried. You have another one for the Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. You even have one for the sword, and yeah. you have one for the ring, and you have one for fate. So, And there are multiple leitmotifs in the Wagner operas. In this piece, there are only four, mm-hmm. and I've given them names, and that's not hard to do because it's quite apparent. The first one that appears in the very beginning is the spell, Mm. The spell that is created. Would you like me to play that for you on the clarinet? The spell sounds like this. And that's it. That's great. Yeah. The, The no part of the answer is that the bassoon doesn't always play the part of the broom he starts out as being the broom, uh-huh. but later on the whole orchestra becomes the broom. Okay. When the broom gets out of control, the broom takes over the whole orchestra. So you'll hear the same tune, yeah. but you'll hear the entire orchestra playing it in one form or another. And what else, Derek, um, talk about, I don't know, the role of the bassoon. Where else your instrument shows up in this, this piece? What else, like what other kind of role you play? Um, well, these two parts that I've played for you, the most exposed part is where I play the broom. Um, the rest of it, I join the full orchestra or I play, you know, with woodwinds, the frantic, you know, fast parts. Um, but those are really the only two parts where the bassoon specifically stands out. I feel like we should walk through the, the piece now that we've talked it up so much. And I think I think we have an idea of, of what it's about, what's going on with the instrumentation. Is that okay with you guys if we get to that? Okay. So shall we play the whole yeah, piece? And let's I'll give play you the a whole piece. Okay, there's only one light motif that we haven't played for you yet, oh, okay. and that is the one that's called that that I call the apprentice, and this is the lighthearted uh, moment in the piece, and it starts out lighthearted. He's sort of dancing around. He's having a great time while the broom is doing his work, but then later on, that same light motif comes out. Uh, in a sort of panicked way in the brass as the brooms are taking over and flooding the place. Do you want to hear that one? I would love to hear that. So you've heard three of them so far. You've heard the spell, you've heard the broom, and you've heard 
oh, there, there are two more that you haven't heard. Here's The Apprentice. Okay. So that's, the, that's The Apprentice. And then the sorcerer himself, who appears at the very beginning in the introduction and then comes back to stop everything in its tracks at the mm-hmm. end, sounds like this. Nice. So you have four leitmotifs, all of them very, very different from each other. Yeah. But in fact... There is no other music in this piece than those four leitmotifs. Everything is based on those four, yes. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear them as we play the entire piece. In the slow introduction, the first thing that we hear is the spell that the sorcerer's apprentice casts upon the broom. Okay. And then in the woodwinds, a little anticipation of the broom theme. And now the apprentice theme, always fast. (laughs) And then the sorcerer himself. Here's Derek as the broom. (laughs) The spell comes back for a moment. And then the broom gets really enthusiastic in the trumpet. (laughs) 
And the apprentice is still happy-go-lucky. <laughs> Everything's going great. Everything's going great so far. <laughs> The room is getting stronger. This is where the woodwinds are doing all that fast stuff. I love those bells. Yes, the glockenspiel. still at work now in the woodwinds. Then a lyrical appearance of the broom theme in the celli. Now the apprentice is triumphant. He feels like he's won. gets worried. <laughs> and now the broom is getting out of control. You can hear the waves of water in the upper strings. <laughs> the flood is happening. The uh, trumpets and horn try to reverse the spell. This is the sorcerer's theme, which the apprentice is trying out. Uh -huh. I'm afraid it's not going to work. <laughs> the water continues to overflow. So he gets out his hatchet, and here it is. <laughs> whack! Whack! The broom's going down. Whack! Whack! Now you'll hear Daniel Westerfeld playing the contrabassoon. That's Derek's a crazy good friend. Sound. Yeah. <laughs> The broom is now waking up. 
it's back. Well, so far it's just one broom. But remember when the clarinet comes in, there's a second broom right here. Here's the apprentice theme, but he's starting to get desperate, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> the flood is getting worse and worse. He tries the sorcerer's theme one more time. But the water is too strong. The trumpet is now playing the apprentice theme, but he's powerless. Yeah, he's doomed. Remember the spell at the beginning that was so soft? Yeah. Here it is, very loud. That's the spell. And one more time, the spell. And the crazy woodwinds. Yeah. And the broom overtakes the spell. I think it's about time that the sorcerer showed up, don't you? I, I mean, I feel like if he doesn't, this is going to be bad. There he is. sorcerer weaves the spell. And there's the broom and the apprentice together. Kick in the pants. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. So uh, even though you came in to teach me about The Sorcerer's Apprentice today, you guys are actually going to be doing a performance of some different work soon. Can you talk about that and where people can find out more information about I can. you guys? I think I mentioned at the top of the show that Houston Youth Symphony is in its 70th year now. Yeah. And we've decided to celebrate our 70th anniversary by performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. This is by far the biggest project we've ever taken on. Yeah. 
It's a 65-minute work, as most of your listeners know, and it in, uh, involves a, a large chorus and vocal soloists. Yeah. So for this occasion, we are using the Masterworks Chorus of Houston and the Rice Chorale, mm-hmm. both of which are conducted by Tom Jaber, who's my dear colleague and friend uh, at Rice University. And I've just been to my first rehearsal with the chorale and the Masterworks Chorus. We have three weeks to go Mm -hmm. before the concert on November 13th. Mm -hmm. And we'd love all of your listeners to come at 7 o'clock in the evening and listen to the Houston Youth Symphony play the entire Beethoven Ninth Symphony. Uh, Where can people find out more information? HoustonYouthSymphony.com. Okay. And it's not HoustonYouthSymphony.org. It's HoustonYouthSymphony.com. The performance will be at Studi Hall on the Rice University campus in a great, great acoustic where we play all of our concerts, as a matter of fact. So it'll be a a festive evening. You guys get out and, and hear the concert. If you can, Michael Webster and Derek Markham of the Houston Youth Symphony, thank you so much for being on the Classical Classroom today. This has been so much fun. Our pleasure. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org classroom. There you will find a magical land filled with all of our social media. Email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Subscribe to, rate us, and review us on iTunes or else the sorcerer will get you. Thanks to audio producer Mark, guardian of the mixing board to Claudio for his help today, while producer Todd is out literally climbing on rooftops. Thanks to producer Todd Holsander for his piercing Groot-like eyes. Thanks to Michael Webster and Derek Markham again for being here today. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.